You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Hello once again, dear friends. Welcome to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. We are doing a redo because we just had a little technical difficulty. I am in a hotel in New York City, which might be pulling a little too much broadband, so we're going to try again. Welcome. This is the show that's for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation, the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper. This is Groundhog's Day because, yes, you may have already heard this introduction, but we want to make sure (laughs) you're all hearing it all coherently. My name is Callie Alpert. I'm in New York City with my dear friend, co-host, and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg. Hello again. Hello, and uh, nice to see you even though you're in a hotel. And uh, I was giving a shout out to Linton, Canada, which is- For their high temperatures? 121 uh, two days ago on Tuesday, which was higher, the highest temperature in the world, higher than Abu Dhabi. So if somebody thinks we're not moving into global warming, they can call me directly. And we will give Steve's phone number at the end of the show, his direct line for anybody who wants to take that up. So speaking of high sunny temperatures, today our show, I'm trying to make a (laughs) seamless segue here. Today our show, Love Versus Fear, such an overarching big theme. Many people would say that these really are the only two true emotions that ultimately everything boils down to either love or fear in the most um, basic and rudimentary way. I know Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the preeminent expert on death and dying, uh, was one person to state that, and I believe many others have as well. So how often do you get pulled in by your fears and forget that your essential nature is love? If you allow fear to dominate your life, the result will be dis-ease, anxiety, an unwillingness to engage with your life, And if you access your inner reserve of love, you'll have an open-heartedness toward life, one of balance and harmony, which to me sounds pretty delicious. Easier said than done, we know. So today we are offering a fresh perspective by breaking down the different levels and versions of fear and love, sharing our stories about being hijacked by fear and then being saved by love and offering you action steps to help you heal fear and access the deep love that truly is your ultimate birthright. I like that last sentence, being hijacked by fear and being saved by love. Well, don't we all relate? That's happened to me many times, right? Yes. Right? Or saved by resolution. I think that we all relate deeply to this. I mean, this is a, you know, we believe a universal topic. I think one of the things we want to start with by breaking down is the fact that a lot of us might not notice. We often go through our days living so reflexively 
and so reactively and just being in relation to all our external circumstances, surroundings, relationships, that we don't take note of the difference between our love vibes and our fear vibes, right? Absolutely. Love for me has been, I've always been a very loving person, but having any consistent love has been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Having consistent fears is something I've been mired in most of my life, like walking through the mud of very consistent fears. And it wasn't until probably I was in my 30s that I began to learn how to deal with fear. Because mm-hmm. when I started meditating in my 20s, I would do what is now called spiritual bypassing. Mm-hmm. and just try as much as I could to get into higher states of consciousness. How'd that avoid... go for you? It actually went really well. But what, what would happen would be that I'd be in these very high states of consciousness talking to Hindu gods, and then I would fall into abject fear right. at times, and I didn't know what to do was at that point I started going to therapy. Right, because the glue between the highs and the lows is really the key of what we're getting at here, right? It really is. How to how to work with both sides. Right. By the way, can you give the Hindu gods my number to let, the next time you talk to them? Do you need them? I don't would, know. <laughs> you tell me. You know me well. Would you like Hanuman or Ganesh? <laughs> yes. Both. Sure. All right, I'll send them over right now. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the difference between, you know, again, this might be, um, it might seem to be obvious, the difference between love and fear, but let's talk a little, um, let's break down first the essence of love and what it feels like when one is in a state of love. And then we're going to talk about what in a state of love really means from a spiritual perspective, because that's something I think a lot of people might be limited in in their you know daily lives too. Oh, yeah, I would love it. to hear you talk about being in love. Um, as would I, <laughs> but that's actually the point. We'll get to that. That's a good teaser. Hmm. So, in terms of the essence of love and how one feels when they're in the energy of love, um, that it's not about another person, that it can be about something like a bird or the ocean or yourself, or a cloud, an exchange on the street. Um, And in fact, you know what, I'm cheating. I kind of skip steps here. So actually, I'm giving examples of what love, the forms that love can take, and then we'll back into what it can feel like. Um, So that's sort of what we just teed up to, is that often when people use the word love, they identify it with a partner, with their person, with their lover, with their, you know, um, but we're actually using the word love in a wider, broader, more overarching energetic sense, which has to do with the way you approach your days and the lens through which you look at everything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where I'm using these examples. Like it could be a moment where you see a child smile the right way on the street or the way you hear a bird chirp or the way a cloud rolls by you or an exchange you have with a stranger or sending compassion to someone that you don't even like. I mean, those are all different versions of showing up from a state of love, right? And, you know, the way I talk about it in my uh, workshops and with clients is that those things that you mention. They catalyze love, that the love is always there inside Mm. of us, Mm. 
And those experiences, whatever they are for anybody, could be a stamp collecting or something. Yeah, could or, be or butterflies, or could be anything. They catalyze the love that's already there. Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to be talking about today is the love that's already there, which is part of our spiritual inheritance, and how to contact that. Right, the reservoir that's over that's one of the things. And we'll also right. talk about the opposite, right. which is being mired in ego. Right. But the key point being that these recesses are all solely about what's happening inside of us. Right. If you go with us on that sort of tenant, that's the the springboard from which we're going to really speak to everything today. Um, and if you want to think about examples of fear, again, you know, when we've done shows about um, fear and risk taking, fear comes in all the obvious ways and ways we're afraid to do certain things, but it can also be, you know, fear of uh, being afraid of making a change, mm -hmm. of leaving an unhealthy relationship, of letting go of something um, unhealthy, um, saying goodbye to old patterns and stories from your past, asking for forgiveness, expressing your needs when you don't feel safe, saying no, um, just sort of sharing, you know, just a, a little list of the ways that fear can enter our lives every day that we might not, uh, you know, necessarily associate with the word fear. I would say even making a single decision for mm. some people mm -hmm. is terrifying mm -hmm. because what they come with is the idea that whatever decision they make is going to be wrong. Mm. I work with that a lot mm. and try to help people overcome that and know that each side of a decision has rightness in it. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to One Soul Radio here on Unity Radio. And uh, what I would like to share is the phone number. We'd like to hear from you if you want to join us, share a story, ask a question, ask for a piece of guidance. The number is 816-251-3555. We'd love to hear from you. We love our callers. Um, so now I'll back into the other part that I kind of skipped over just a moment ago, which is the essence of which each respective emotion feels like. So the essence of love, which is from your, uh, you know, ideally from a place in your heart space, um, is a feeling of unity. It's a feeling of being in peace, of feeling interconnected, of living in your heart space, of feeling a state of being that's pure, you know, or a sense, an overwhelming sense of oneness. Um, if you're in a state of fear, which comes more from your head or your ego space, there's a sense of separateness. There's a sense of otherness. There's a sense of bias or division, um, fleeting unhealthy emotions and living in the material world. So what we're trying to really emphasize here is that um, there really is only one us. I mean, we both come from a place where there is one overarching essence of us, and it's really just the way we show up in the world, the stories we get attached to, or the stories we let go of that kind of, in a super simplistic way, um, determines which which space we're living in. Yeah. Is that overly simplified? No, I'm going to make it even more simple. Great. <laughs> but I'm no, simple, it girl. Was, Bring it on. It was kind of perfect. Uh, it depends where we put our attention. Right. Thank you. It depends where our focus is. Right. So if we're dragged along like I've been in regards to money. Mm -hmm. That's right. You have too, I know. Mm -hmm. We're kind of twin souls in that way. Mm -hmm. So if I'm 
seduced by money and I start engaging in it, I start believing in it, then my attention not only goes to a circumstance, whatever that is, but also brings up hundreds, tens of narratives about all the times I didn't have money, all the times I worried about my bank account, all the times that I didn't have enough money to pay checks. And so it's pulled in that direction. So that's one way to think about it. That's where our attention goes. On the other hand, our attention can go somewhere else. If we wake up on the good side of the day in the morning, right. a lot of things can happen. And our mood remains rather steady. And I think that's really important to think about. Why does that steadiness happen? So on the side of love or equanimity or inner peace, there's a sense of steadiness. And no matter what happens, usually we can maintain that. The goal being, again, you know, simplifying just so many of the lessons I've learned on my own path um, and in relation to this topic is that um, the more space you create inside of yourself, the more you touch your place of love and spaciousness and a higher sort of unified front, for lack of a better expression, with your highest loving self. Um, and the more you attach to your external influences, the more you're apt to be connected to your ego, an egoic mind. Good. True? Yes. The True loving sensei? Yeah, the loving self is always waiting there right. patiently for you to come back. <laughs> I do love when you say that. I have heard you say that a few times. Would you like to take our first caller for today? Go, yeah, let's go for it. Hi, caller, are you there? I'm here. Hi. Hi. What's your name and where are you calling from? Um, my name is Jaysha, and I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, nice to Nice to have you with us. Do you have a question or comment on Thank the ever overarching topic of love versus fear today? I I have a question. Um, I have fears that just, they've been reoccurring for years, many years, and they frighten me. And my tendency is to push them aside so I just don't have to think about them. Mm, natural. Do you have any recommendations for dealing with them? Do you, um, I'm always better at answering with a question. Um, <laughs> okay. Let Steve answer with the answers. Do you, um, are you, do you identify them? Like when they come in, do you at least know what they are enough of it? Or does yes. anything like if you yes. get a reaction in your body, do you kind of name them and then throw them aside? Or you just kind of get the feeling and you know, you want to move away from them as quickly as you can. All of the above. One from column A and one body, two from I, column I, D. I, I, I think right? that's really, yeah, I think that's yeah. what most, most people do. It's true. So the first mm -hmm. thing I want to say is that this is so normal. Mm -hmm. okay. We all have a, a whole bevy of fears mm -hmm. that if you're a spiritual person, then you would understand that we come in with those. Uh, and also they're stimulated in our childhood. The reason that we come in with them from, a, again, a spiritual point of view, and I really like this way of thinking about it, is because we want to resolve them in a particular lifetime. 
And so things that we've had for many, many years are part of our deeply rooted fear system. And those we have to be very gentle with because they have a tendency to take us over. What we want to do is what the Buddhists, I like the Buddhist kind of approach to it, which is the first thing to do is to know that there's something in those fears that you want to know about. There's something in those fears that are asking you to be a little bit bigger in your life. And so walking gently toward them rather than pushing them away is the mm -hmm. first thing that is going to create a little bit of neutrality for you. I would say it's important not to think that you have to heal them at first, but mm -hmm. instead of pushing them down, every time we push something away, it creates more power in them. If we totally even pushing factors. people we don't like away, it creates more power. And then those thoughts and feelings have a tendency to come back with more aggression. And so what we want to do first, and I'm, I'm just going to say that would be a good thing to practice. And you could call us back and tell us how you do with it. So the first thing to do with know that it's something that you've taken on from a soul level. They represent okay. a certain limitation for you. They're asking for your help. They want your help to help them resolve and that you'll have a, both a welcoming and a neutral attitude toward them without having to necessarily be controlled by them. That would be a first step. And you've okay. often said too that, um, which has been helpful, like as, as I've sort of learned this way of dealing with um, uncomfortable situations and fears and concerns and things that have kept me up um, at night a lot for a long time is to almost look at them like they're different energies, like they're entities. That's, I guess, more of the shamanic way of looking at it, right? That yep. they're separate sort of energies that are visiting. This might be a good um, cue oh, up Oh, yeah, to we our have roomy. our roomy yeah. poem today. Yeah. So we'll cue up to that. Um, but maybe that um, if you can look at them almost like they're these separate entities or energies that are paying you a visit because they need a little bit extra love and attention and they need to sort of catalyze something inside of you that needs, like Steve said, extra love and mirroring um, of a piece of you that still hasn't been resolved. And even if you don't believe in the karmic piece and if that's a little too woo, um, you can leave that aside and still look at it as just like this separate thing that's not you. It's something that you're capable of just taking a look at and noticing and observing. And like Steve said, that's, you know, that's a great first step. How does that resonate for you? Have you tried that before? That's, that's great. I haven't. Um, I'd love to hear the poem. I could sense there <laughs> okay. might be a poem in there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we're going to um, So thank you for, for calling and sharing thank your you. question. We appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to share that, um, that Rumi poem with you right now. Ready for Rumi? Ready. Rumi says... And the name of the poem is The Guest House, mm. which this we are. This, this is a good one. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes 
as an unexpected visitor. Rumi says, welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweeps your house, <laughs> empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Mm, so good. It's such a good encapsulation of this point that we've been trying to make in the last few minutes. Isn't it? Uh, and to hear it from, you know, a classic iconic mystic sort of to me gives it even more gravitas than you and I have put together. And if you <laughs> and if you imagine that was eight nine hundred years ago eight hundred years ago. Right. Human beings have had the same issues forever. We're, we're the same lifetime after lifetime. Right. And the same beautiful wisdom adages apply. Right. That's the that's to me very reassuring. Um, is when you hear the great masters, generation after generation, poet after poet, philosopher after philosopher for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years, um, saying the same old, you know what, <laughs> same right. old core messages. You know, it's really. Um, it's pretty beautiful. So, you know, that one is, uh, it might be, it might be hard to fathom if, you know, if you're still in more of a reflexive place of, oh, I hate the uncomfortable stuff. This isn't happening. This is hard. This I want to stay away from. I'm angry that this is happening, dragging my heels about this. Like how in the world are you to, to welcome things? Like that's not our human conditioning, at least an earth ego brain. Um, right. So how do you even begin to entertain like to reframe so you can even make space to play with this concept yeah that that's what i mentioned to our last caller this first idea is not to run from what we find in ourselves right to know that it's there for a grand purpose like rumi is saying and to if you can't welcome it at least remind yourself as you said before that it's an energy that we're dealing with, and it's not us. It's a powerful concept to play with, and it does work. Once you get used to it, it gets easier to sort of entertain. So we've been, we're talking today about love versus fear. We've sort of defined the difference between the two in more um, sort of daily terms. And next, we're gonna talk a little bit more about versions of fear and love a little bit Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. 
Welcome back, everybody, to One Soul Radio. We are talking today about love versus fear. My name is Callie Alper, coming to you tonight from New York City with my friend and co-host, spiritual psychotherapist Steve Hassenberg, representing California. And we're talking about um, just the bottom line of how really love and fear um, are the two bottom line emotions under which everything really falls, how interconnected they are, and how to start to notice uh, which energy you're living in throughout your days more often we're going to move into ways that we can start to be more conscious and mindful about choosing love over fear if we so choose right absolutely um, so let's uh, I know we both have some stories on our mind of like ways I mean there's so many examples in life of ways that we get you know mired by fear or choose love and I know you have a big one on your mind that you want to share yeah, you know, when I was thinking about fear and love and how they're companions on the road in life, and they're really companions for us, um, I was thinking, what experience do I have where fear and love were so strong? And the experience that came up was um, the time that my dad went into the hospital to have a uh, heart operation. Mm. And... Um, my dad and I had a very contentious relationship. People who have listened to the show for a while have heard about it. He's given me a tremendous amount of material, and I want to thank him for that in heaven. So if you, you, could, you, you chose between being a psychotherapist and radio host over being a comedian um, to use your personal fodder, and here you are. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so Dan and I had a really hard time, and I was waiting for him to be a father to me for my whole life. Never happened. Mm. But, but he wound up in the hospital at Columbia University. I was living in Santa Monica. And I made this decision that maybe I'll be his father for two weeks while he's in the hospital and teach him how to be a father. And I had a tremendous fear about doing this. I didn't want to do it. It was the last thing on earth I wanted to do. I didn't know how I'd pull it off. And so there was a great deal of anxiety and fear and agitation about it, but I decided to do it. And um, I spent both every day for 14 days in the hospital with him. I fed him. Mm. I walked him on a walker. I talked to him about his dreams, which he never talked to me about a single dream. Amazing. I talked to him about his fears. I talked to him about my fears. And um, the thing that was so striking was that one day some of the people from his office came in to visit. And uh, after they had talked to him for a while, one of them pulled me aside and said, you know, I have to ask you this question. Did your dad have a heart attack and an operation? Or did he have a lobotomy? <laughs> and I thought they said he's so different mm. and I thought this thing really worked <laughs> and after that experience uh, first of all I felt different I felt like I stood taller I felt stronger mm. and there's no doubt that our relationship shifted it got warmer more kind more tender and my dad was actually a different person. So I'm not crediting it all to me, but I think that experience of extending love to him 
mm-hmm. and extending kindness and really opening myself up in the most vulnerable way I possibly could changed our relationship. Mm, so beautiful. So beautiful. Um, you know, as as you know, uh, this, you know, parents and and troubled relationships and love and fear is a very um, current and active theme for me. Even as I sit here right now, the reason I'm in this hotel room in New York City is because my mother um, had an accident last night is, and is in the hospital. And there's so many levels to this because we've also had an extremely, you know, our, our family's been very tossed around psychologically and um, emotionally for a very long time because of how my mother's made. And so to process that for so many years, the way a family dynamic, a dysfunctional family dynamic can really do a number on you on so many levels. And there's so much attribution to the way your life goes from careers and money to relationships and all of it, not blame, attribution and understanding. I try not to look at it as blame. And then you start doing all kinds of work and you start creating space and you start after you go through so many different emotions and decades of rage and anger and forgiveness and compassion and separation and escapism. And I need my free, you know, so many different um, levels to processing difficult families. And then you get to a place of some version of freedom. You sort of return to the love and it's not like I never, uh, like my love ever vanished for my parents, but there are definitely been different levels of it. Um, it's hard to do this whole storyline, a lifetime of this justice, but suffice to say that when you land back at a place where you can have enough space for yourself, that the love is turned toward you, toward me, so that I'm making decisions now that are more for me first and in this, you know, in this situation, my parents second, which has never been my life dynamic. Mm. That's another version of love. And Mm -hmm. And then in that, in filling up your own sort of love coffers the way you did for your father, although it was in the opposite direction, your story, you've got, you find yourself in a full circle place of a bigger reserve of compassion for them. It's a very interesting thing. And like I said, I hope I'm doing this justice because it's so raw. I'm literally stepping out of it in the last like two hours to try mm-hmm. to, you know, articulate this today. Um, but it's very powerful and it's pretty beautiful. So you know, again, the the versions of love can be because you need to give more of it to yourself because you've neglected yourself for a long time. It can be because you need to heal something where you didn't have enough reserve for someone else. There's no, I think it's important to remember it's not about um, always uh, emitting it outward. It's some often about taking it inward. And it's not a selfish act. It's a, it's a healing um, act. So I, I, lo- I really love the way you've described that. Because you. it can take me back to my childhood. Mm-hmm. where there was so much going on and so much chaos and so many arguments that I didn't have the time to get my needs met. Mm-hmm. And so my all of my work, I use I used the word work because I started doing therapy at seven, was outward outward directed to cry, try to create peace in the chaos. Yeah. And then as you described it, it takes a long time when you grow up in those families to value yourself and your own needs. And it's a beautiful juxtaposition for me in terms of the way I describe giving to my father in order for the possibility that he might give back. And you describe giving to yourself because you were valuing yourself for the first time. I love that. 
Yeah, it's really, and yeah, we're twinsies on this level as well. We have a lot of similar parallel lines with all these um, stories and dynamics. So it's very powerful. And, you know, as Steve, um, as you also know, today is an auspicious day because um, it's a seven year cycle ending for me. Seven years ago um, on this day launched me into a very difficult chapter for the last seven years where I was struggling on a lot of different levels. And I have officially declared today is my seven year release cycle day. So there's a lot of synchronicity and serendipity, uh, not consciously planned in the theme of this show and lessons learned, certainly in the fact that, you know, my mom landed in the hospital last night and we're dealing with that. I mean, it's um, it's again hard to do it all justice quickly while talking and I'm is, um, still raw about it. I haven't really integrated all of this, but suffice to say this stuff works. I really think that that's really what I care about um, all of you hearing and understanding is that the more you can try to get into a place of space, um, a little bit of distance and witnessing from the things that drag you down or make you afraid, the more that space starts to heal you and it begets more of the love energy separate from what you get from your dogs and your relationships and your beautiful new house and your great new job and all those things that we're not minimizing. The purest form of love that really can fill up your tank in a more lasting way, I think is more of um, to, you know, the examples that we're trying to give here. So I hope that helps a little bit. It does. Helps me. <laughs> That's my primary goal. Oh, good. Would you like to take another caller? Let's see if sure. somebody in the line here. Hi, caller. Are you there? Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, so let's go back to um, sort of bare bones, because, again, a lot of people would say easy for you to say, you know, if you're living a life of strife. Um, can you tell the refugee story? I think um, that's like such a beautiful, powerful example of, oh, yeah. you know, again, because we never want to minimize the reality that we're all earthlings with serious challenges of right. varying levels and different right. degrees. But this is such a beautiful baseline story, I think, for inspiration for people that. Um, okay. Really so struggle. Yeah. This actually comes from a film that came out a couple of years ago that was done by some a hero of mine, a Chinese painter and activist by the na name of Ai, A.I. Weiwei. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ai Weiwei did a film called Human Flow. Beautiful documentary. Highly recommend. He spent a year filming the all these refugee migrations from the Middle East and from Africa uh, coming to uh, Europe. And uh, the, he captured the most poignant experiences, both on these little boats on the ocean, on the Mediterranean. He captured the faces, the yearning, the urgency, the horror, of being a refugee, especially with children. And he's a refugee uh, himself, so he had a special um, understanding and sort of deep compassion and relatability more than any other compassionate human might be, might have. Very, very, very deep, right? And so one of the things I told Callie when we were producing the show was that I noticed most of the people coming on shore when they got to some part of Europe, maybe Italy first or Greece, was the pain and the poignancy and the raw, sometimes raw terror 
in their face and the fear that went along with not knowing where they were going, not having a destination, not having a home, having children, not having enough food. And then there were these rare moments when one of the refugees came off the boat beaming, just Mm -hmm. absolutely beaming. It was like a radiance of the sun coming off their body. And you would see the hope for where they were going. And they were keeping hope alive in their heart, even though they were going through the greatest ordeal and the most arduous situation. And uh, and the reason we're telling this story is because so much of what happens to us in life depends on our inner attitude and our beliefs not to denigrate in any way what anybody goes through, but the fact that an individual could keep hope alive in that kind of arduous circumstance. Mm. It's really, it's a spectacular thing. And I I think that, you know, often people attribute the latter example to people that are just lucky. It's in their DNA. They're more lighthearted. They're more optimistic. But I think if we're speaking to it in a spiritual perspective, it's a it's a beautiful example of how a lot of this is more in our power than we know. And it's up to us to empower ourselves to make these to know that we have these choices to make. It's not easy. It takes no, it a isn't. lot of commitment and exercise and practice. You always use the words vigilance and patience. Those are your two key words. And uh, and it does. It really does. It's a it's a choice that you have that most people have to make. For some, maybe it does come more naturally. Or right. you know, we have a few examples where the Byron Cadys and Eckhart Tolle's of the world have these spontaneously generated moments of you know from deep darkness and deep 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 fear and depression and suicidal ideations as one extreme to overnight living in complete you know love life God force. But that's rare. And the one rest in, of us have to one have to in decide. seven billion. Right. I think that is the official statistic from the bibliography, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about um, Maslow? Just again, it's sort of a, you know, because I'm always in the the headspace of sort of the, uh, you know, the as we call it, the woman or man on the street, like the earthling, you know, easier for you to say how spiritualized. woo, 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 woo. But what do you say to most people that are going through really tough stuff these days, you know, when it comes to. Um, Uncle Abe Maslow and just using that as a model for survival to self-actualization. So we'll talk about your uncle, who was Abe Maslow. (laughs) And he was the father of the, really one of the fathers of the human potential movement back in the day. And he came up with this uh, kind of pyramid, the five steps of our needs, our basic needs. So it starts with basic needs. And this is what we all need before we can actually take a breath, have a moment of peace, have an experience of love. So he's saying that their basic needs first, and I'll tell you what they are, psychological needs second, after the basic needs are fulfilled. Once you get the psychological needs met, then there's self-fulfillment needs so you can interrupt me at any time if you want more data. So I'm in listening. The, in the basic need category, we have physiological needs, which we just talked about in terms of refugee situation, food, water, warmth, and rest. 
shelter, something over our head. Until we get that, it's very hard to be philosophical, very hard to do inner work, very hard to have a moment of hope. Right. And what is that? Even that's nuanced because a lot of people technically have a roof um, and might not have a job or might not be able to pay the mortgage right. or just their life just blew up. You know, so there's obviously different definitions of what that means to different people. Right. And that you're, you're bringing us to our second rung of the pyramid, which is safety needs, mm -hmm. security and safety, having the job, having money coming in, not living in a tent in the middle of the inner city. Mm -hmm. So having a certain amount of safety that you can have a moment of rest, a moment of thought, a moment of something, what might be ahead for me. And then we get to the psychological needs, which are belongingness and love needs, intimate relationship, friends, extension of communication, all of that stuff, uh, work relationships. Once those needs are fulfilled, he's saying esteem needs come in, which is feeling of accomplishment, mm -hmm. feeling of I'm getting rewards for what I'm doing, um, good communication, prestige. Those are under esteem needs. And then finally, he said, once all of those are there, but again, it's, it's not specific. We can talk about that guy coming off the boat having feelings of love and happiness because he has a belief that his life is going to change. Mm. And even I could see self-fulfillment coming out of his eyes. So even though this is the top of the pyramid, it could happen at any time. It can happen when you're uh, watching a sunset, looking at a baby smile. So self-actualization needs, achieving one's full potential, including creative activities, and really feeling like your life is something that you could say has been fulfilled. Mm. Abe so then, Maslow. Uncle Abe, baby. So then <laughs> where on the list, you know, how do we integrate that into what our point is that we're trying to make, that there's always some opportunity to choose love? Um, you know, is there a place in those rungs where it's most apt to happen? Yes because it's kind of nonlinear and we all sort of toggle between we level A and level anything. three and right. 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 But yes, I mean, once we get the basic security needs met, once we've got a job and even if you don't have a job, people can love. What we're saying is that love is foundational and of essence in the human being. Even if you were homeless and we've met homeless people, yeah, they could be very loving. Yeah. So loving is there. It's a permanent mm. state inside of us and it could be elicited at any point. But in terms of how, <laughs> what do we have to do to get it? He's mentioning some of these, if some of these things are met, the opportunity is greater. Yeah. It's also, so you know what's coming to mind? Well, a few things are coming to mind. One is, I think the whole process of this sort of trajectory between fear and love, or if you want to you know, graduate or whatever, um, I have so many visual analogies in my head, is that it's really a shedding of layers. You know, fear, I look at fear more as not even like a working through, it's sort of a surrendering and just sort of moving through and letting it naturally um, kind of peel those layers off because the love is always at our core anyway. I often think about like an artichoke 
people say peel back the layers of the onion. I always say peel back the layers of an artichoke because there's a heart inside of it. Oh. And if you just not pretty. So cute. Came up with that a few years ago. I haven't used it. I like pulled it out of the back pocket in a while. I like them so much. Um, but it's uh, you know, it's just sort of a nice way to think about like it's always right there, and it's just a matter of not seeking it or chasing it or moving toward it or aspiring or sending to it. It's just getting back to it, just letting it out. You know, it kind of can help when we all get caught up in the trying too hard of this getting the, to these places. This is the Cali Albert theory. <laughs> Uh, this is about the heart of the artichoke. Mm, right. I like it a lot. I'm so glad. The other thing that's coming to mind, and then we're a moment we're going to get to our action steps in a moment for um, you all today, is Dan Millman, one of our favorites, who wrote um, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, most famously, and a lot of other amazing books that I've been a huge fan of. And he did um, an online course at um, Omega Institute, where I work, and he. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that really stuck with me that somebody asked a question about how to get to a place of love or fulfillment or higher you know just higher vibes basically is that especially when you're in your toughest place and you don't feel like your cup is full and you're really mired in your own stuff and your own e egoic life that's the time to still reach out to do something good for someone else to switch up that energy like that's the true test of your reserve of love um and it and it mirrors right or it boomerangs right back it can be a very gratifying thing to sort of shake up your energy so um that always just stuck with me you know like at the times when you least think you're apt to want to do something loving um or make a you know a loving gesture whatever that might mean to you is the time to sort of try this on because it's almost more powerful. And I have one little thing to say about that. Yeah. There's a great adage that said, love is the only commodity that increases as you give it away. Mm, love it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. It's almost, um, you know, it's like these things, uh, you've always used the expression like, when you're in a darker place, start stringing, stringing together the, the pearl necklace. Find those little moments, like those little moments. Maybe it is that you're in a horrible mood and you're unemployed and you just got divorced and you lost your whatever, um, you know, whatever your challenges are. And then you see a dog that you pet on the street for three seconds. Sink, let that energy sink in, you know, and really right, take it exactly. into your body because that begets more of the energy. It creates more space. So right. those they don't have to be big grand gestures and you know big uh, rainbows and unicorns it can just be one little moment shall we get to our action steps quickly i think we shall all right so the first one is um to think about maslow's risk choice or safety safety choice which we haven't talked about in detail today but the the gist is is that um try to come up with something um you know every day or once a week or whatever it is and just choose differently than you would if you're uh, if there's someone you're uncomfortable with reach out to them if there's a conversation you've been afraid to have maybe try to um have it if it means what else any other examples that come to mind well what i want to say about that is maslow said that every day we have many many opportunities to take a risk choice right or a safety choice. Mm. A safety choice is staying with the status quo, what we've always done, what we've always known, and a risk choice is going into the unknown. So what we're talking about is taking one of those risk choices and broaden your horizons and radiate your love. <laughs> 
that sounded like a PSA for something. It did. Um, okay, so number two is notice your body. <laughs> How does it feel when you're in a place, when you're in touch with something that brings you you know a feeling of love and how does it feel when it brings you something that where you're in a place of fear so simply notice it breathe it in you know if you're feeling if something strikes you the wrong way and makes your chest tighten up or your throat tighten up or your belly which are the three probably primary places where fear will live or at least touch your body first notice it if you're feeling open and um, a sweep of a beautiful feeling in in whatever regard it is breathe that in too and start to just notice start a dialogue with each of these things and get to know them a little bit more deeply and finally what steve likes to call the one soul challenge our uh-huh. third action uh-huh. step which is not every night before you go to bed picture yourself waking up in the morning feeling happy content and motivated to create a beautiful day and do it until you say it works. I haven't tried it. I've which done I need it. To. <laughs> and it works. I've done it in the. I did it in a period of depression that I was in a few years ago, and I pictured myself in that day. I heard myself talking to people, and um, I felt what the experience would be like, and it worked. After it takes a little while, it can take two or three weeks, but keep at it. So again, lesson of the day, none of this comes easy. It comes easily to a few people on the planet. To most of us, it doesn't come easily. It's a decision and it's a job. It's a project and it's a commitment and it can be a real pain in the tush and then it pays off. We promise. So a uh, quick reiteration of our action steps today. Listen to Uncle Lee, take a risk. Think about risk choices and safety choices and maybe make a risk choice. Uh, try one tomorrow or do one this month. Um, there's no... no uh, no quota that you have to fill. Notice your body, how it feels when you're in a state of love and when you're in a state of fear and just get more in touch with that. And finally, every night practice um, picturing yourself waking up in the morning, feeling happy, content, and motivated. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us. You mean so much to us. Join us on Unity Online Radio Podcast, One Soul Radio on Instagram, One Soul Radio Podcast on Facebook. Next week, same place, same time. Lens of Perception will be our show. Thank you. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.